things accelerated extremely fast and I started to lose blood. And when you do that, of course, the room fills immediately with lots of staff, all of whom are quite concerned. And at that point, I sort of checked out. So it still causes my husband extreme sort of flashbacks when we talk about that because I went completely white, was not responsive. That was Kate Forbes, the Highlands MSP and former SNP leadership candidate, speaking about the difficult experience of her birth in what is a revealing and personal interview on her struggle with postnatal depression. We'll discuss that in more detail a little later in this episode. Hello and welcome to The Stushy, the Scottish politics podcast from DC Thompson that helps you be better briefed. I'm Andy Phillip and on this episode I'm joined by political reporter colleagues Adele Merson and Justin Bowie for a look at the big stories of this week affecting communities across Scotland, especially the bits others find hard to reach. There's a bit of a theme to today, starting with Kate Forbes, who shared with us some personal and revealing details of her experience before and after the birth of her daughter, Naomi. We have a full interview in print and online, which you can read, and I'd encourage that. It's an important topic which Kate wanted to share on doing stigma and calling for better support. We'll also hear from Conservative MSP Megan Gallagher, who's talking in Parliament about the need for family-friendly arrangements and today is drawing attention to the long-running struggle to get full maternity care services or improved maternity care services back up and running in communities across Scotland. Services have been downgraded in many places. We've discussed Murray and Caithness, the more rural gaps in care. It's also something affecting Ninewells in Dundee, Aberdeen Maternity, Wishaw, Edinburgh, Kirkcaldy. Megan's list of talking points is pretty comprehensive, so we'll talk about that very shortly. But first, back to the beginning with Kate. Adele, you spoke to Kate for this interview, so tell us what motivated her to tell you about such a personal experience and what's she hoping to change? I think she she, she mentioned to me that she had been thinking about perhaps writing something on this topic it's obviously something that meant a lot to her but I think just being a a mum of a young baby and and a politician she's been really quite busy so I think she did welcome the experience to to share her story my impression of it was she wanted to as you alluded to there sort of reduce the stigma that can be associated with this topic obviously if you go onto the Press and Journal and Courier websites, you can you can read it in full. But I was very struck by just how open she was. I mean, she wasn't discussing emotions or feelings that are easy to talk about. She talked about, you know, experiencing quite extreme levels of terror and fears that someone could harm her baby. And mm. she said, you know, she she struggled to hold and bathe Naomi at first and had really kind of dark thoughts about how she was a terrible person and she had wrecked everyone's lives. I mean, these admissions are not not easy things to admit to, especially from somebody that's such a high-profile politician. But I think it's mm-hmm. obviously such an important discussion. She's got this reputation, or or did have it, during, you know, certainly during the, the leadership race of she was this very capable candidate. And I think women seeing uh, another woman who's at the top of her game professionally, who's been able to run in a leadership race, who's been in charge of the country's finances, being able to kind of stand up and say, look, I've also felt these 
confusing, upsetting, dark feelings will mean a lot to many people. Yeah, absolutely. And that really comes through in 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 her in her quotes in 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 print. I mean, we heard a little snippet at the start um about the what came first, obviously the experience of going to hospital um and what ended up with, you know, uh, the birth of her her daughter Naomi who's happy and healthy now, but um we can listen now to a little bit more from that um and we just get an idea about what she was going through at the time. One of the tricky things, I think, when it's your first baby is that you actually have nothing to compare it to. I find that most mothers only really confide in other mothers about their own birth story and their own experiences. You know, I found myself even struggling to explain it to those that perhaps hadn't had a baby because a lot of it just sounds so strange in an experience which is meant to be really positive and uplifting. Um, for me, the I worked very close to the point of giving birth. So I was probably working up until like a day or so before I went into labour and I was already a few days overdue and it had been just a really busy period. I mean, I was cabinet secretary, obviously, I had my constituency, there's no end of demands. So I don't think I was particularly relaxed going into the process and contractions started about 6pm in the evening and then I went into hospital the next morning at about 5am. And the staff were just fantastic. But everything was going as well as it can do. I don't think anything had quite prepared me for the extreme pain. You know, you make jokes about how painful labour is. But um, it's next level agony. And to use a technical term, it transpired that my baby was back to back. So that can put particularly acute pain on you. Anyway, at about midday, I things accelerated extremely fast and I started to lose blood. And when you do that, of course, the room fills immediately with lots of staff, all of whom are quite concerned. And at that point, I sort of checked out so it still causes my husband extreme sort of flashbacks when we talk about that because I went completely white, was not responsive. And anyway, long story short, um, from that point on, things just kind of took a twist um, for the worse. That was midday. Over the course of the next few hours, the baby just didn't appear and eventually... They took me in for an emergency C-section, but tried forceps first. And then the baby was delivered at about 9pm uh, using forceps. So that was the process, but there was quite a lot of twists and turns. And you just have that constant sense of fear because you're in chronic pain, but you also are desperately hopeful that your baby is safe. And at certain points, you know, her heart rate plummeted as well so to get to the end was just that sense of huge relief 
And then she was immediately whisked away to Skibu. That was Kate Forbes uh, talking about the experience of giving birth for the first time there. The article in the Press and Journal and the Courier and online uh, goes into a lot more detail about what came after um, the postnatal depression. And uh, Adele, it's also important to point out that she discusses what support was available for her and how good the NHS were. Is there anything that she was calling for in terms of opening up that support? I think she found in her experience it was the NHS sprung into action immediately but she just made the point that it is important if there's any women out there who may feel that they have postnatal depression or similar feelings that it's all about the speed with which because people's mental state can deteriorate really quite quickly with this so it's important that you admit your feelings to a GP ideally, a GP, your midwife, your health visitor in the first instance and from that point they can take it from there and there's charities out there that that, that can be uh, that have resources. I know there's one locally called Latinum in the northeast who help women in this situation. But yeah, in the first instance, I think it's you know your GP, your midwife. But we have a lot more. There's information and some links on the article online. Yeah, Justin Bowie's also here, and um, we've been talking more widely today about support for women's health, maternity services, what's out there for young families getting women into work as well. There's a bit of a common theme here with the discussion that you had with a Conservative MSP for Central Scotland, Megan Gallagher. She is pointing out that, you know, there's been closures of maternity services in areas across Scotland. Many of the listeners will have been perhaps affected by, you know, closures in areas like Murray and obviously Keith Ness as well. Um, she is arguing that, you know, the Scottish government are essentially letting down women over this and believes a lot more needs to be done to ensure that women can give birth as close to home as possible. Okay, well, why don't we have a wee listen now? And You spoke to, to Megan just before we started recording today, so let's hear what Megan had to say. This is a, a very important issue, and it's an issue that's close to my heart um, because I gave birth to my daughter Charlotte just over a year ago at one of the impacted hospitals um, with this proposed downgrading of maternity services. But of course, you'll know and your, your listeners will know as well um, that the downgrading of maternity services started within our rural areas in the hearts of our rural communities. We've seen Keith Ness um, impacted severely um, with their maternity services being downgraded. Of course, we then had the situation at Dr Gray's um, with the temporary, and I'll say that very loosely, downgrading of maternity services there. But unfortunately, um, the central belt has now been delivered a blow as well because we have seen um, yet three more hospitals being proposed as part of a, a downgrading exercise by the Scottish Government. And the impacted hospitals are Victoria Hospital, and then we have Ninewells, and of course, Wisher General, which is in the area that I cover, but also gave birth to my daughter, Charlotte, um, just over a year ago. So this is impacting everywhere now. It's across the whole of Scotland, and I can understand the upset and worry that this is causing to mums everywhere because they want to be able to give birth as close to home as possible, to have that vital support network nearby them during their time of need. And of course, if you know their, their babies do need specialised care, 
they'll also want that to happen as close to home as possible as well. But we're seeing this what looks to be, uh, to be a centralised exercise um, by the Scottish Government. And what, what's happening now is services are being stripped from the heart of communities. And again, it's, it's causing you know widespread concern and worry to mums right across Scotland. As you alluded to there, you know, you've seen it's important for mums to be close to home. Just, just how important is that? And do you want to tell us a little bit about whether from your own experience or just from, you know, constituents you've spoken to, why is it so important um, for mums to be close to home when they're giving birth? It's so important. And, you know, I remember when I started going to labour, um, you know, it's it's a it's a very surreal experience because your emotions are everywhere, um, you know, that you're looking for your loved ones nearby to help you get to hospital safely. Um, but you also want to make sure that your loved ones are with you as well, just in case anything goes wrong or you need them for anything in particular. If you've forgotten something at home, they'll be able to go back and get it and then bring it back into the hospital for you as well. So it's it's so important and you know I, I couldn't imagine and this is where you know I will just never ever understand the the decisions taken by the Scottish Government when it comes to rural areas that expect mums to travel over a hundred miles to get to hospital in order to give birth I mean that is horrendous and I've got no idea why the government thinks that that is acceptable because we've seen and we've heard the harrowing stories from mums who have had to give birth at the side of roads. Um, you know, these are really horrific situations that mums have been put in. So that's why it's so important to be as close to home as possible. And no mum should have to make, you know, a stressful journey when they're already probably stressed with the process of, of going through childbirth. You have spoken before about the Scottish Parliament not necessarily being the most family-friendly place to work. I mean, obviously, MSPs travel from across Scotland to be there. Um, they, I suppose the errors are, aren't always the most predictable, depending on when things are discussed, when things are being voted on. How have your experience has been with that, and what can Parliament do better to support mums and people with families in general? Absolutely. Well, I, I do find it, you know, quite interesting that we've got the, the new First Minister, Hamza Yusuf, um, who says that one of his main priorities will be childcare, but we actually can't get childcare right in the, the Scottish Parliament building itself. So, you know, I think it's a bit rich for the Scottish Government to be saying that they'll make childcare one of their major priorities when they can get it right in the centre of governance. And I think what it does is it stops young people and, and young um, women in particular from thinking about entering the world of politics and, I, and that in itself is a travesty because we need people from all different walks of life, you know, all different um, backgrounds to, to come into politics. That's, that's what makes democracy work. But as we see just now, um, particularly with the Scottish Parliament, as we have a creche facility and you're only allowed to use the creche facility for four hours a week. Well, I don't know any staff member that's in the, the Parliament building, any MSP that will only be in for four hours a week to use that facility for their young children. So we've not got it right. The Parliament is not family friendly. But actually, if we look to our colleagues in Westminster, they have a far better childcare facility than what we do here in Holyrood. So I think the, the, you know, the Scottish Parliament, we need to work collectively on this. Um, but I, I do think that a solution needs to be put in place. Otherwise, we're saying to particularly young people, you can't enter politics until you've had your family and your children are that bit older. So that's the situation in Parliament. So I suppose if you compare it, how difficult is it for 
families where you know both parents say work full time they don't necessarily have somebody who can take care of the young children for them and childcare is often expensive how difficult is it for say the ordinary working class family to secure childcare it's so difficult and becoming a mum i've realized how difficult it is trying to weigh up going to work the commute to work and of course the logistics between you know trying to arrange yourself and, and your partner in order to to make sure that someone's home um, for your child in order to pick them up and, and make sure um, that you've you've got that planned out for your your weeks ahead so it's so difficult um, but actually the, the Scottish government have you know had you know they've done a pretty poor job um, I think in terms of supporting families as a whole um, we look at the the child care um, policy the 11 140 hours policy and you're seeing you know nurseries close their doors up and down the country you're seeing childminders deciding to to leave the sector now i've got no idea especially with the cost of childcare as it is at present how working class families are, are are able to navigate all of this it must be so difficult for them um, in this climate but in addition to the, the scottish government putting in policies that are making nurseries close their doors as well so i think there's a, a whole discussion that needs to be had on childcare and what we can do to better support families and i'm certainly you know going to be bringing that to parliament as much as i can Okay, that was Megan Gallagher, Conservative MSP in Central Scotland, on a theme I am sure we'll be returning to again. But what else has been happening around the country? Uh, let's have a, a quick roundup of everything else that's been going on in Scotland and your communities. Don't know about you, but I've been struck by something that's been happening a bit further away from from home here been struck by the the great liz trust rehabilitation project which is possibly the biggest nonsense of the week adele i know that you and i have the same fond memories about last year when everything was just kind of falling apart you've seen liz trust popping up on various media i'm, I'm sure do you feel like there's um, a sense of amnesia she's trying to hope that we've all got here and that we've forgotten actually what happened last year yeah i think it's given it's given me a bit of trauma because if i remember rightly you were on holiday at the time that all unfolded it certainly was and so it was stressful <laughs> trying to work out all of the coverage and things but uh yeah i think it's exactly if is it almost a year since that all happened uh, yeah pretty much pretty much bang on depending when people listen to this yeah i think a lot of her own party kind of feel could you could you please not come out and and, and speak again but uh yeah it was interesting she was calling on rishi sunak to cut taxes and and you just kind of get this feeling of really like obviously a year ago you she introduced her mini budget which had disastrous effect on the economy and so yeah. i guess there's a lot of people have an element of trauma from her coming out and, and talking about taxes again it didn't really i think i think she admitted to show, she showed a little bit of self a little bit of self-reflection saying you know maybe she mm -hmm. had, had done it all too quickly but that was about that was about all she was really admitting to from what i could see yeah pretty wild really when you think about it i mean people a year on we're still dealing with the consequences of the decisions that were taken there in inflation and 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 what happened everywhere else it, it is quite wild but um i also that sense of amnesia that scottish conservatives including douglas ross and everyone else they were very quick at that time to say well if the smp don't follow her lead right now then that's just awful and um we, how, how times have changed there was another anniversary that's just passed as well 
September the 18th. That's the anniversary of the independence referendum. And uh, I don't know about you, but it, um, it kind of, it passed a little bit quietly this year. I mean, not a lot of the time there's, it's used as a bit of a, something to rally the troops around um, in terms of the independence campaign. I mean, I don't know about Justin, you've been, you've been touring the country. You've been on holiday. You've been touring the country. When you were out and about, did you get a, a sense of um, people sort of rallying to the cause again? Not particularly. It, it just very much seems like it's on the back burner. I mean, I suppose part of that is perhaps the fact that next year is the 10th anniversary. I'm sure that will provoke a lot of discussion, a lot of interest, Absolutely. a lot of, you know, sen- you know, a sense of where are we now. But I think the fact that, you know, Nicola Sturgeon wanted to hold a referendum, I suppose it would have been this year, wouldn't it? It would have been upcoming, you know, the, the, next the, month? the date that she wanted to hold it. The fact that that's just faded away and there's so many domestic problems that have overtaken us in the past year, not all of the SNP's doing, certainly, as we just, you know, alluded to with Liz Truss and her disastrous reign there. Mm. It, it just seems like it's sort of on the back burner law and even within the SNP, there's debates over the future of Fergus Ewing within the party. There's, you know, discussions over whether they should pursue certain policies. The actual topic of independence and the pursuit of independence just feels very distant at the moment, perhaps because even though the polling isn't, Mm. you know, necessarily all that weak for independence, while it's not particularly strong for the SNP and while they are pursuing a strategy that involves them having to do well in elections to try and get independence, I just don't think it really is on the radar of anyone at the moment. It's yeah. always in the back burner and it will come up again, but it feels like a bit of a sort of down period for, for that discussion, certainly anyway. It does a bit. We've not been short of um, things to keep our attention, though. I mean, one of the stories that I know that you and I have both talked about a lot in the past few days is um, the ban on the bully dogs. That that has sort of erupted in the public consciousness at the moment. Like Rishi Sunak saying that he wanted to ban the breed and... Um, then we had to have a look at whether that would apply to Scotland. This was in the Scottish Parliament just the other day. I mean, what, where, where are we with that one? Is that going to have to be something that the Scottish Parliament gets involved in too? So they were discussing this in the Parliament yesterday. The Scottish Government were asked some questions about it. They said that they are consulting with the UK Government and devolved administrations at the moment to see the best path forward. There seems to be a, a very common consensus here that something needs to be done. It's obviously a tricky topic. You will see owners argue, you know, my dog is fine, it's about the owners and not the dogs. But clearly if there is a specific breed that is regularly attacking people and is very dangerous, action clearly needs to be taken. The problem is it maybe comes down to defining this breed and you know how do you define this particular breed as being separate from other breeds. Obviously another big danger as well is that if, if this particular breed is successfully banned and you know the dogs are taken off the streets, we obviously have problems with illegal gangs and, you know, gangs who are sort of breeding these dogs to be dangerous and aggressive. Do they just kind of try to breed another kind of new breed that's even more dangerous? But there's there's clearly a major problem here. And I mean, yeah. I, I think for decades there's been discussions around dogs and dangerous dogs and how you curtail that. But I think this particular, you know, the XL Billy, this particular breed seems to have really kind of, you know, the concerns around it really seem to have erupted um, given recent yeah. incidents. Okay. Well, I think um, if we're talking about bans, maybe we should bring a ban on political comebacks. I think that that's, the, that's where we should be heading in Parliament. So I, on that, I think it's time to resurrect as well um, an old favourite, Stoosh of the Week. And it's going to Liz Truss. Stoosh of the Week. Oh, I've missed that. 
Okay. On that note, that's everything for this week's Stushy. Thanks to Adele Merson and Justin Bowie and producer Morvan McIntyre and our guests, Kate Forbes, for sharing her story and Megan Gallagher for joining us on the podcast. We'll be back next week, but until then, pick up a paper or log on to The Courier, The Press and Journal, Sunday Post and all of our news brands so that you can be better briefed.